Thanks for checking out the V1 Church podcast. You're about to hear a message from Eddie Perez as we continue our study of the book of Romans. Make sure you tune in to the very end of this podcast because there's so much gold packed into this message. We'll see you on the other side. What is going on, V1 Long Island? I feel at home here. Um, I just want to say, even before we begin, to Pastor Mike, who is in V1 Queen, to Pastor Julie, thank you so much for um, serving, for just uh, loving on this family here, loving on us. We love you on behalf of my family and my uh, two crazy boys. They're running around probably somewhere here. Thank you so much. Let me tell you something, church. Um, when you think of church planting, you don't think of coming to New York City. That's the, that one of the last things you think about because New York City is considered one of the top unchurched cities in the country. So you either have to be crazy or called to come here to plant a church. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, so I'm excited. You guys excited here? We're going to... Man, this, this series in, in Romans is, uh, has been fantastic. So if you have your Bibles, you can take them out. If you have downloaded the V1 Church app, if you go to sermons and you're going to see sermon notes, you're actually going to see the message there today. And you can actually take notes right on the app. You can save it and you can send it to a friend. Is that cool? All right, come on. So for the few moments that I have with you here today, I want to talk to you about unlocking the heart of generosity. Unlocking the heart of generosity and what does that mean? So the first seven chapters, we're going through the book of Romans, dealt with our justification by faith, right? Our union and our salvation that only comes through Christ alone and is not based off of our works. Now we come into the second half of the book of Romans. So chapter 8 to chapter 16, we're going to see Paul continue to answer the question, how does my faith in Christ lead to a changed life? How does my faith in Christ lead to a changed life? But before we do that, I want to tell you a story. I was looking at the, the Forbes list, and by any means, I would never reach that pinnacle of the Forbes list whatsoever. But their net worth is about $7.2 billion. I know. On the top of that list is Amazon CEO uh, Jeff Bezos. And I think he's around roughly around $130 billion. It might be even a little bit more than that. But what's interesting is that he tells his story when he was 10 years old. He, at the age of 10, he would visit his grandparents' ranch. They had this farm, ranch, they had all these animals, um, and he would clean up after the animals, and he would work in the ranch all the time. And then every afternoon, they would take a drive to go get something to eat. And every time... His grandmother, who would be sitting in the passenger side, she would be smoking a cigarette. And this, this really annoyed Jeff at 10 years old. This really, really annoyed him. So he recalled, remember a commercial that said, for every puff that you take, you lose two minutes of your life. I think I remember that commercial. So Jeff being Jeff, the way that he is, good in arithmetic and problem solving, he calculated how many times she, she actually puffed a cigarette, right? So when he was satisfied that he had this gr great number, he was so happy, he said, you know what? I'm going to tell her. So they go, their regular routine, they drive off. 
He's so confident. He goes to his grandmother and says, Grandma, don't you know that you've lost nine years of your life? He thought she was going to give him this great response. Oh, you're so clever, Jeff. Oh, you're so smart. Thank you. Instead, she begins to weep and she begins to cry. So what ends up happening is now the grandfather knows this. So just a few moments later, he ends up pulling to the side of the road. The grandmother leaves. And now the grandfather turns to Jeff and said, Jeff, one day you're going to understand it's harder to show acts of kindness than to be clever. The reason why I tell the story is this, because even when we demonstrate acts of kindness, our cleverness sometimes clouds our self-worth. In who we were created to be. We are created to be this generous generation according to God's balance sheet. So what I want us to understand for these few moments, the bottom line is this. Generosity is a gateway to your intimacy with God. Can I repeat that one? Generosity is a gateway to your intimacy with God. Can I break down what generosity is according to God's standards? Come on. Generosity is the act of doing more than what's expected of you. It's defined as the practice of sharing and giving that exceeds all expectations. It has to be intimate. The intimate factor sometimes we lack and we miss. It's this intimate devotion with God that brings increased promotion with people. We will never be able to live a generous life ruled by what we don't understand and what we don't have. We would never be able to do it. So here's the question that I kind of want us to wrestle with here today. Am I living out the full potential of generosity? There's this constant tension between generosity and selfishness. And, gener and selfishness is really the enemy of generosity. Where generosity is when you give and you, ex and you expect nothing in return. Selfishness is when you give and you're expecting something in return. Come on, how many know you gave something to somebody, they, they, you, you, you loan them some money, and they're just dodging you left and right, and they're not, it's happened. I'm not saying, but it's happened. Your generosity defines your experience. Your generosity defines your experience. When people look at you, they want to see the generousness of who you are. So today, I want us to just look at three ways where God's generosity takes us from. Is that okay? Yeah. All right, I heard that Long Island loves to read scripture and loves the word of God. Is that true? Yeah. I know I'm in the right place. I feel comfortable up here, so don't mind me. If I get a little Pentecostal, it's okay. All right, so turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. So remember, the first week we talked about freedom in Christ. The second week, we talked about our union and our unity. Now we're going into generosity. Romans chapter 7 dealt with how we still wrestle with our sins, but at the same time, we are on this journey together. Amen? So here's the first, first point. God takes us from condemnation to liberation. God takes us from condemnation to liberation. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. I didn't even start yet. I'm already getting claps. I love it. You guys are excited. I love this. If, if, if they're excited like this in the 10 o'clock, oh, well, my, uh, they got something. <laughs> it's going to be exciting. Hang out. <laughs> All right. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 2. There is therefore now, say this with me, no condemnation. No condemnation. All right. 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let me just break that down for you. What is Paul saying here when he's saying no condemnation? When Paul is saying no condemnation, he's telling us of our position, not our experience as believers. When we say no condemnation, it's this legal term that he's referring to from getting away, being free from debt and from penalty. You see, God has nothing against us anymore. Our enmity with God is now over. It doesn't exist. He doesn't hold anything against you and me. But the problem is this. When we don't understand what no condemnation means, we end up giving out of fear and legality. We don't, we don't understand what it means to be, you're not condemned anymore. We start giving because it becomes an obligation and not an obedience. Liberation sets the tone for our troubles. We've been set free, people. Amen? Come on. Verse 2 explains that the victory we have in Christ over sin. Paul continues to say that. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's in this freedom that liberates our giving. And we just cannot be spiritual consumers. We need to be spiritual contributors with what God has given us. That's why when Luke says in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20 verse 35 says this. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We have to understand that Christ is the model for the early church, and it should be the model for us here today. There was this Caesar in Rome back around 116 A.D., can't pronounce his name. But what he ended up seeing at that time when the early church was thriving, he started to see different groups of people within the Roman Empire. And he was concerned because there was this one group of people that were, what in his eyes, were considered cultish. They were called the way, hence Christianity. So what he ended up doing was he got this spy and he told them, listen, I want you to go out to these people called the way and I want you to report back to me and tell me what is it that they're doing what is it that they're saying they're turning this world upside down what does this mean so he goes there he observes them and then he comes back with this report and I want to read this to you can I read that is it okay all right he says this listen to his words they love one another oh come on that's just radical enough and he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him in their own homes and they rejoice over him as a very brother. And if there is among them any that are poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. Imagine that. Such, O king, is their manner of life. And verily, this is a new people, and there is something divine in the midst of them. Oh, come on now. That's the early church. My question is, how far have we fallen from this model today? When God gave us Jesus condemning sin to death in the flesh, instead we are to put on God 
first and recognize that everything already belongs to him. It liberates us from the loss of insufficiency. When God liberates, church, he eliminates your past and he invests in your future. Second, we go from condemnation to liberation. Secondly, we go from underpriced to sacrifice. We go from underpriced to sacrifice. Here we see Paul now beginning to answer a set of questions now. Romans chapter 8, verses 31. You could just scroll down if you have a phone. Here's Paul. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul's now answering a set of questions here. And one of the questions he's asking is, if God be for us, who can be against us? Feeling underpriced, feeling undervalued. You know, after I graduated from, wow, Bible school about 15 years ago, it's been a long time. Um, I was so excited. I came back and um, I had in my mind, this superior Bible knowledge and all these degrees, and I was going to rain down revival on Queens. Now, mind you, I was like, it didn't happen. It's, so we're still, we're still waiting, church. <laughs> so, um, but I was so excited. I took on this. My first uh, uh, pastor, it was a youth pastor position in a small church. Pastor looks at me and says, okay, all right. You about it? Okay, no problem. You're going to work 50 plus hours a week, and we're going to just pay you $100 a week. Let me tell you something. I left there so disappointed. For those of you, welcome to full-time ministry. If you want applications for V1 College, you can sign up on the app. That is the reality. So what ended up happening was that I learned that I pridefully thought that um, I was severely being undervalued. And maybe today, some of us here, you feel undervalued. You feel underappreciated, maybe in your home, maybe in your family, maybe in your job situation. But there was one who felt the same way when in the Old Testament, you see so many, over hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah that when Jesus came, they couldn't even recognize him. They wanted this great, elaborate king. That's why Nathaniel, when he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This is a small metropolis. Nothing good comes out of this. When Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 2, he said, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Taking the very bondservant and coming in the likeness. I want to tell you something for those that maybe you feel underappreciated and not value, that your value doesn't depreciate based on the opinions of others, but it only increases with your intimacy with God. Amen. The evidence for God being for us is through the giving of his son. He is the greatest gift that we have ever received. Our generosity should flow out of God's generosity. And this generosity is modeled for us, but sometimes we make the gift small. When we minimize the gift, we maximize the loss. When we say, Jesus, I can't trust you in this situation, we minimize him. 
Jesus, I can't believe that you're going to come through in this storm. We minimize the grace of God. We confined it into a box. We maximize the loss. But when the scripture says, greater is he that is in me than him that is of the world. That is a promise. He takes us now from being underpriced to showing what the meaning of sacrifice is. That's why Paul says later on, we're going to see in Romans chapter 12 next week, that he says that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. How, do we, how can we observe or visually see someone that has been sacrificial in their generosity? Well, the marks of Jesus' passion was displayed in his sacrifice, and it is evident in his hands and in his feet. Can I break that down a little bit for you here today? Luke chapter 24 says this, and he said to them, why are you troubled? This is after his resurrection. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? You see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. He kept the scars to establish his identity. He didn't have to. He wanted everyone to recognize, Thomas, do you see this? It is me. I'm keeping the scars. Isn't that just a solemn truth that we need to have today? He didn't have to keep those scars. But it tells us, how we should be generous. I like what Augustine, he said this. He said, God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. Come on now. I didn't say that, but it's good. (laughs) If your hands and your feet are not in line according to the generosity of God, then your movements are motionless, meaningless, and mundane. Your blessings are made to benefit others. That's the purpose It's meant to benefit others. It needs to be people over profits. It needs to be abundance over assets. It needs to be God's flow instead of your cash flow. It needs to be intimacy over interest. It needs to be Christ above capital. Here's another another quote that I I can't claim. It said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And that is so true. It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. Lastly, we go from debt to delight. Oh, come on. We go from debt to delight. Paul now reaches this apex of his argument now uh, concerning the salvation of Israel. And now we find Paul breaking into worship, literally breakdancing into worship. Romans chapter 11 Verses 35. This is what Paul, this is what he says. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him. Be glory forever. Amen. How many of you have ever re-gifted a gift before? Don't raise your hands. This is an embarrassing moment. But I'll raise my hand on behalf of you because I've done this before. It's embarrassing, right? Grandma gave me this ugly Christmas sweater, and I cannot wear this, so I'm going to pass it on to somebody else, right? Whatever the case is. So we either give a gift that we don't like, or we give a gift because, honestly, we just can't pay for it. What ends up happening is that we have this scarcity versus abundant mentality. We wrestle with this. Scarcity says that there's simply not enough to go around. 
where abundance says there's more. I have more to give you. That's why if we see that debt was paid for us through Jesus Christ, where it says he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his stripes we are made whole. Show me your hands and your feet, and I'll show you a generous person. I want to see the sacrifice. Our relationship with God should be this deepening intimate pleasure. Paul says in Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. Psalms 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. Psalm 16.11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Delight. I know sometimes we don't want to give. It's not the happiest moment. But here we see clearly in scripture that those that have understood what it means to be forgiven, that each and every one of you, you've been wired for joy. You've been wired for intimacy with him. Yet some of us, we walk around with praises on our lips and problems on our hearts. Grateful, joyful believers are generous. The first and the greatest command is to be satisfied in the supreme value and beauty of who God is. I delight in you, Lord. I want to be the end of my quest. Pastor Julie said this scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful there means hilarious. It's not the hilarious that my wife thinks I am. But it's a hilarious that cannot be contained. You ever laugh so hard that you just can't stop? That's the giving that what God wants from each and every one of us. Radical, irrational generosity brings joy to the recipient and it radiates from each and every one of you here today. And our primary currency is faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And in closing, there's an image. I don't know if you guys could put that up. But one of the hardest things to do is to get out of debt. That's me. One of the hardest things to do is to get out of debt. There was a time where debt loomed over my family. It was, is it okay if I get vulnerable? Is that all right? Okay. October 29th in 2012, if you remember that date, it should ring a bell if you were in New York City. And um, it was when Superstorm Sandy came. And it caused about $19 billion in damage, I believe. Uh, over 100 people had lost their, their life. And I live next to a canal. And my neighbor comes out of the canal, comes out of the house, and he says to me, Eddie, get out of here. You got to come quickly. I go and I look out and I see water begin to just rush through the street. And I'm like, holy cow, what is going on? Everything was, street lights were off. It was dark. My youngest at that time was only three months. I grab him up. I put him in the car seat. 
literally minutes by the time that I got outside of the house, the water level was already up to my chest. I had to literally bring my son and hold him so high so that he doesn't get wet. While I was leaving, I saw my neighbor's house catch on fire and then I began to see the fire happen to my, my house. And it was just hard just to leave your home and just to watch it almost going up in flames. It was one of the hardest times of my life. Our marriage became an inconvenience rather than a covenant. We got into so much debt. So I started to question God. I started to even question my own faith. Here's a guy that just came out of Bible college. It doesn't matter. I hurt like you hurt. The church family hurts. They give just like they give. Will you fast for me? Will you show me your hands and your feet? How do I delight in this disaster? I want to tell you. That picture. That picture right there. That team helped to clean up the inside of my home and to remove the things that needed to be gutted out. There are things in our lives that need to be gutted out. There are things in our lives that need to be removed. Maybe today you're feeling condemnation from your friends and family. Maybe today you're feeling that you're being undervalued. No one acknowledges me. I'm not loved enough. Or maybe there's a debt that is too high that you can't pay. God had to strip everything away in order so that I could clearly see his generosity. My hands were too full of things that didn't even matter. And I want to close with the scripture. Luke chapter 6 verses 35 says this. I tell you to love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us generously and graciously. Even when you're at your worst, our Father is kind, so you be kind. It is in the acts of kindness and generosity that we find our intimacy with God. Can you stand with me here today? Where do we get to this point where we need to unlock our hearts so that God could just freely move? I want to tell you here today, church, that you are no longer condemned anymore. That's been paid for you. You're not undervalued anymore because when God looks at you, he sees a son and a daughter of the Most High. No one can take that away. Your debt has been paid, is canceled, signed, sealed, delivered. We need to rejoice. <laughs> we need to have that joy, increasing joy. So I just want to pray for you here today. Maybe you're, you're struggling in your walk with God. Maybe you're saying, you know, Eddie, I hear you. And I know it's hard. But just like I said before, greater is he that is in me than him that is of the world. 
The world's going to try to dictate things to you. The world's going to try to tell you who you are. Going to give you their opinions. You focus on him. You keep your eyes on the prize. He is the greatest gift ever. So I want to pray for you. And just believe with me here today. If you never received Christ into your life, or maybe you need to reaffirm your faith in him, just borrow these words with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the gift giver. You are the one that saved me. You are the one that paid the ultimate price. You are the one that sets me free. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Help me to grow in my intimacy with you. In your matchless name we pray. Amen and amen. Go with God here today. It's our hope and our prayer that this message helped you on your personal faith journey. We want to ask that you would give this podcast a five-star rating and share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.